Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. At Evolution, we are committed to helping people and Nordics tech organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, build interest to make doing business easier. I'm Georgia Benton from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and today I'm your host. Today I'm joined by Thomas Linden, who's CTO at TSSAB. I have Alibi Makatov, who's Product Manager at Lendo AB. I have um, Monica Leonite, who's the CEO and founder of OpenHack 2020 Australia. And I have Nicholas Lumbach, who's a contract CPO, um, to discuss navigating the innovation highway, recruitment to product success. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do and what your biggest passion is currently. Thomas, do you want to kick us off? Hi, thanks for having me in this podcast. And as you said, I'm the CTO of TSS. TSS is operating in the pharmaceutical industry since the past 30 years. Pharma companies need to constantly monitor the temperature of their drugs in order to stay regulatory compliant. That imposes manual time-consuming processes. And so what TSS has done is that we've, together with these companies, created a cloud platform that automate temperature monitoring and also decision-making in a fully GXP-compliant environment. My passion? I want to increase the speed at which we can get the right technology into the hands of users so that everyone can really benefit from latest technology. Brilliant. And Alibi, do you want to tell us about yourself? Thank you very much for having me here on the podcast. My name is Alibi, and I'm a product manager for mobile apps at Lendo Sweden. And Lendo uh, is the biggest uh, in Sweden long comparison service. And uh, we all together try to empower people to make smart and conscious decisions regarding their personal finances. And loan is just part of it. And I myself try to look into different areas of uh, consumer finances. Thanks for that. And Monica, do you want to tell us about yourself? Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Uh, so my name is Monica, and I'm founder and CEO of OpenHack 2020 Australia. Uh, as by the name it sounds, we started uh, the business in the year 2020 when pandemic was hitting, and that was perfect timing for a digital transformation projects. And uh, we focus on hackathons, innovation management. Uh, we help different industries to scale. So uh, one of our uh, key areas and focus zones are tech and high-tech startups that are focused on impact investing and also providing solutions that would contribute to sustainable development goals. So sustainable development goals is the key area we're looking after when we're headhunting startups and creating uh, startup competitions and connecting startups with investments so that's shortly about us amazing and nicholas uh, tell us about your role and about yourself yeah thanks thanks for having me uh, i'm an engineer background i uh, started out my uh, my career as a cto for in san francisco for a company called obscura that was a creative agency uh, later it got acquired and now some of the stuff that we made is actually up on the Las Vegas Dome, which is, I think is pretty cool. That's like way after I left. Um, after that, I've been CPO of uh, Mint and Stafello, uh, Stockholm Fintech, uh, Fintechs. And uh, right now I'm a f- uh, free- freelance and basically positioning myself for managing and building product teams. And uh, my passion, 
<laughs> what you asked for. Uh, it's basically building things. I think it's been from uh, from day day one. It's been building different things, and I think right now uh, it's super exciting with generative AI assisted uh, tools where you can try to build things that before has been too difficult for for a single person to build, but now you can get this new new assisted help. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, a Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Amazing. So now that we've established the context to each of you, let's move on to the topic in focus. You all have a question or statement on navigating the innovation highway, recruitment to product success. As usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. Let's start with Thomas. Um, How can regulatory compliance be used as a driver for innovation? Where does this question come from? Yeah, I've been working in companies bound by regulatory compliance most of my career, both in defense industry and now in pharmaceutical industry. And I think historically there has been this general perception that companies that are innovative are small startups, whereas companies in industries with regulations are instead bureaucratic. And in fact, that was the rationale behind the introduction of agile methodologies in the mid-90s, that it was a reaction to methods, mostly waterfall methods, that were perceived as as too regulated and micromanaged. However, a lot has happened in agile lean transformation since then, also in companies with regulatory compliance. What one company that visualizes these contrasts very well, I think, is SpaceX. And there is a partnership between NASA and SpaceX and a really interesting interview from 2020 with Elon Musk and, and head of NASA, Jim Bridenstine. Musk explains his motivation with helping NASA to create more affordable rockets and to increase the speed of innovation in space. Bridenstine means or sees a lot of opportunities in this partnership also for NASA. Uh, where And he elaborates that NASA has this history of qualifying every component and every subcomponent and that every piece of every rocket is fully qualified. Whereas SpaceX has this way of working where it iterates over and over again and, and that this is the what enables SpaceX to move so fast. And both organizations has successfully sent humans into space, but clearly have different ways of meeting the regulatory compliance. And that's what I'm eager to discuss. I'm to, to hear your views here. Could, could, could it also be that, that the regulatory compliance actually can drive innovation? 
Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'll, I'll have some thought working in uh, finance for a while. And uh, I think uh, clearly there's a lot of regulatory compliance there too. And for, for small companies, it's uh, usually, you know, it, it's, quite, it's quite a lot to put on, on, on a small company. But I think that there, I mean, there, there's at least two examples that I can think of where regulatory compliance have helped and uh, open banking, Open Banking Act and Mika. So in general, I think everybody feels that regulatory compliance just, you know, adds burden to, to companies, but clearly there have been some initiatives. And I think this is quite uh, similar to NASA realizing that it's not a good to have a monopoly. And uh, the same thing EU realized that there's not a lot of in innovation in the banking industry. We need to open up standards, allow other people, um, uh, you know, to, to build things and think outside the box with this modern, maybe more agile way. So I think that's the two ways. Uh, uh, I mean, that's where I've personally seen uh, seen that uh, this regulatory compliance kind of helps. Otherwise, uh, I haven't I haven't seen it. Uh, right in the uh, the fintech train here. Um, I currently work in the fintech and. Uh, Apart from the, the open banking, those kind of uh, big regulations that uh, touch different companies, we also have to think about the consumer. And in the end, what we're trying to do is to, to make a good product uh, here. And uh, when it comes to regulatory uh, part of it, uh, transparency into, into the data usage for, uh, for the end consumer uh, and how that data is used and uh, who's controlled by is uh, very important uh, to the end consumers and now uh, there's more awareness and, and uh, conscious uh, thinking around how do i share my data uh, so that because of the um, um, the marketing companies being very good at now uh, suggesting and, and uh, uh, selling their services and I would add on when it comes to the banking industry, uh, because we also have several investments and several scale-ups that we did when it comes to decentralized finance based on blockchain technology and such. It's very uh, it's very tricky, to be honest, uh, when it comes to regulations, because those are quite new. There's very few lawyers that are capable of these, and therefore uh, still those regulations are taking place and taking shape every single day. So with emerging technology, I think that's a big challenge the, to have these uh, regulations in place when they're already needed, because usually you develop technology and usually if it's a new market, if it's emerging market, there's very few regulations and you have to uh, follow the traditional ways that might not really help the development and implementation of uh, these new technological developments. Uh, so yeah, it's very important to think about it. Another thing that I was thinking recently, we uh, we've been speaking at the United Nations uh, Forum for Food and Agriculture, and there we were discussing also innovative technologies when it comes to agricultural industry. However, there we have, for example, such organizations as World Trade Organizations that have uh, many processes in place. However, to make a decision in those organizations also takes ages uh, sometimes, uh, if you think from startup perspective. So it is challenging to find the middle ground, especially if you have not only international institutions involved, but also you have to think on national level. Uh, so absolutely, that's one of the biggest challenges when it comes to implementing and widespreading the new technological developments. 
Yeah, I just wanted to fill in on on GDPR there, and I I think uh, since I was uh, I was there before GDPR, and then we had to implement it, and then uh, see the aftermath. And I think as a, to me, I saw two things. I did see one that a lot of companies actually start to care about what data they save and uh, how they manage user data. And I think that's was really, you know, that that was really needed, and that a lot of companies have become a lot better at how you know they don't do unnecessary things with personal data, which I which was what they wanted. I think the other one is that I get like, I can't go into a new site without getting an annoying cookie pop up, and uh, that I just got more cookie cookie banners. So that that thing, I'm a little bit like, what was that the intent? You know, what they wanted. But other than that, I think GDPR in, gen- GDPR in general was uh, you know was good. I think you also touched on a sensitive point there when it comes to social media, for example. And I'm now I'm talking about the giants that everyone's on and there's not really other alternatives for mainstream so to say communities to actually get on another social media that wouldn't mind the data and wouldn't use against their own interests and that's something that i noticed also was arising and a hot topic since the start of pandemic because that's when people had the only way to connect online However, I do recall Signal was going kind of smoothly among people in defense industry and some others that are more concerned about security issues, but not really catching this uh, mainstream trend. So, and today we still have the same situation. Uh, No other big uh, social media emerged since then for that sake to protect everyone's data. And that's quite the opposite. The data is being very openly used and mined. And and uh, yeah, it's very few consumers that actually dive deep to care about their data. So that goes both ways. Yeah, I just want to add one aspect on what drives humans to, to innovate. And one thing I find fascinating is all of these individuals who, free of charge and outside of working hours, choose to contribute to various open source projects. Uh, self-determination theory is often used to explain that intrinsic motivation and one key element is relatedness where humans tend to seek a sense of belongingness with other people and I think that's one thing that organizations or companies bound by regulatory compliance or not can uh, leverage on. So instead of settling with having established a a backlog and a team to execute on that backlog, I think you should spend some time on really vitalizing why you put these specific individuals, these experts together in one team and to what higher goal you want them to to contribute to. Right. Um, So the context around this question is essentially around organizations um, having uh deep focus on on innovation uh, uh, right now especially when uh the market is is not looking as good and, and trying to uh to get as many brilliant well thank you so much everyone for your input on that um great discussion um we'll move on to the next question so alibi i have your question next um what strategies do you employ to foster a culture of innovation within your organization Tell me the context behind this question. Right. So what I'm um, meaning with this question is essentially trying to get organizations to think about their um, innovative approaches into building products and whether it is right time currently uh, to, given the economic outlook. 
Um, and what we do uh, and what we try to do in our companies is to try to get uh, the leadership buy-in and align it with the objectives uh, of the company and have that support to start building innovation projects, uh, products, especially in fintech, because uh, uh, the money uh, is expensive right now to, to loan. Uh, and uh, there, there needs to be a certain amount of effort put into exploring other um, uh, other frontiers of, of the personal finance. Uh, with that comes, uh, once we have the, the leadership support, then we go into more of the, the cross uh, Cross uh, cross team collaboration on having everyone in in the same room and, and pitching different ideas on what we can do um, to to overcome uh, the, uh, the the challenges that that are in front of us uh, and of course on the on the uh, on the high level on the organization level we have to always encourage uh, people risk taking uh, in, in different in pursuing different initiatives uh, and have a certain training and development uh for the personal yeah i i think that uh, if you want to have uh, like innovation is risk right like there's no guaranteed outcome if you're really looking for innovation so for, for all companies that are interested in innovating but don't want to allocate time and resources they're gonna have a hard time so uh, and i think it's fair that maybe not all companies should innovate you know, and that they should be like, that, that's a fine decision to say that maybe this is not uh, our time to shine. And we're not, we, you know, we want to cut down on uh, on these type of projects. Otherwise, I think that the, the, there's been many successful companies that have found solutions for how to, how to innovate. And some of them are these, you know, hackathons where people can have the time, you can have your own free projects uh, when you can spend time. And of course, that you know, all that time is like, you know, lost until something like innovative comes out of it. So you need, clearly you need someone to be supportive of that within the organization, uh, specifically management, I, I would say. So I think that that is, I, I, that's the big question. Like, do you want to, do you think that this is a good time to be innovative? Like I, I think so. I think a few like this like seems to be a lot of things that's going to change these next couple of years. And for companies that don't innovate and stay on track, are probably going to lose slowly. So to me, like if if I were to choose, I would say yes, this is the time to innovate. But I don't know. I I'm, I'm fair for the people that want to stay more conservative too. Yeah, I was thinking uh, while while uh, Alibi was uh, presenting the topic about the fact that we need to prioritize, especially these days when uh, investments did decrease a lot uh, when it comes to the generally great ideas to be invested in. So such startups, we see less and less uh, surviving the three-year startup period. However, uh, what we noticed was... uh, immense increase of investments in very matured uh, products, services that are in demand. So I would say the shift uh, comparing from five years ago to today is that before it was more about utopian ideas trying to make it happen, same as going to the moon or, you know, providing these uh, these opportunities ahead that requires a lot of investment, very little, um, very little um, proof that it's going to succeed in a timely manner and nobody knows how much money will be burned 
these days, uh, most of these investments are actually being placed in ideas that and projects that are not that risky because the market is already too risky enough uh, to burn money as as uh, before. And um, one more thing that we noticed in the industry, uh, also in the past five years or so, that sustainable development goals became very essential for new businesses to think about when they start their business models, when they think how their business will function, and how will the community accept that business, both locally and globally. Uh, for example, some years ago, when we would have new startups being born during our hackathons, to have a slide about uh, sustainable development goal to which the idea corresponds that they're suggesting a solution for, that was seen as a merit, a good thing to have, these days, that's a necessity. Any investor expects you to have covered at least a couple of points when it comes to thinking about the global economy and where the trends are going. Uh, so these are key highlights, I think, that fits well in this topic. So when trying to create that culture where you have innovation as an integral part of your business, I believe there are three aspects that are really important. People, teams, and missions. People, you need to provide autonomy you need to allow individuals or employees to take ownership of their projects and make decisions and also the freedom to experiment and to take risks. They are the experts. Teams, inside the teams, you need to have a culture of open communication. I've sat down many times with individuals one-on-one -on -one and learned about tons of innovative solutions to problems, but where team members don't know about these ideas. Teams need a culture where individuals share ideas without the fear of being criticized. Mission, clarify how teams and individuals contribute to the higher goal beyond the backlog. Clarify the problems where you need the innovative solutions. Yeah, I want to second a little bit on kind of what you said. I think that having a diverse um, background of the people and you know i'm going to make it i think that's really really important if it's uh, everybody has this exact same engineering school they're going to come with very much the same ideas so uh, working with people from different backgrounds uh, maybe also a little bit different educations to me has served really well and i think that's where many of the good ideas come out the other one i think is over time for for organization is to like it's really nice when rotating in and out of people, uh, specifically from like recruiting in from other organizations that seems to be uh, innovative. I think that's when a lot of really nice things has come into the organizations like, oh, this is how you do it over at your, your company. Oh, we never thought of that. That was not invented in here. So have both of those in the DNA, I think it's going to help for like a long-term innovation strategy. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree, and and I also want to add that uh, I I've seen companies uh, also in in their aspiration to become more uh, innovative, they sort of establish a process, uh, uh, sort of trying to funnel ideas, and then almost like an uh, an an internal dragon's den, and that that could be uh, that could be beneficial. But I also feel that it's very important in these sort of everyday life uh, or at work in the teams. I'm coming back to that 
to uh, to, uh, to to create the atmosphere where uh, uh, where you allow ideas to to sort of prosper and then eventually then grow into these bigger ideas that could uh, enter a funnel into a dragon's den or or whatever. Uh, yeah, and in such cases, actually, one should think about leadership. Uh, leadership is crucial in order to foster such culture uh, that is open for innovation, not only for people to bring up ideas, but actually to have enough time and space to work on those. And of course, budget always matters because if there's no money, those ideas will die eventually. So uh, that's something also we aim to do when we do hackathons within companies that, for example, uh, wants to have some innovation making. We come inside to help them to see ways they can innovate better because usually big corporations are not very good in innovating, even though they have all the resources that one can dream of when it comes to startups. However, usually they have way more processes, more bureaucratic processes that slow down the whole thing and have uh, also it's a particular type of people that understands where you should connect the dots. So uh, that's something that could be um, employed by big corporations that have uh, big teams that also have quite big hierarchical structures uh, in order to help each other out uh, to connect different departments in order to encourage people to work from different parts of the same company or with their partners. Uh, and uh, previously, it was also mentioned about Agile, something that is also being tested out both in big and small companies. It's uh, not uh, an easy thing to understand the essence of it, uh, but that's something we can also continue discussing on the next question. Perfect. Um, some really good ideas, um, and, and hopefully that can help any of our listen listeners to kind of innovate within their teams too. Um, we'll move on to the next question. So, Monica, um, what kind of shortcuts can accelerate innovation productivity? Tell me where this question comes from. Well, this uh, question comes from obviously my background with hackathons. Uh, since I also wrote and published the thesis about how one can use hackathon for creation of UNESCO learning cities. And uh, during that um, research that I did, I was also observing to what extent people learn things and to what extent they reflect that they learn both soft and hard skills while meeting different people from different backgrounds. So those hackathons that we're talking about today, they're much more diverse than the ones that have been back in 70s. Because around that time in 70s, uh, the hackathon as a concept was coined in Silicon Valley. Uh, however, back then, Mostly people would think it's only for IT people, which today is not the case. Uh, in fact, today, uh, the best way is to encourage as much diversity as possible, simply because it provides uh, time shortcuts in order to find the best way to do things. When you have uh, different people by the same table, uh, deciding which way is the shortest, which way is the best, including uh, people that know about regulation, about technology, about uh, the current uh, market demands and the customer needs. So all these aspects in ideal world should be covered. However, each company always uh, strives to find the best talents, but uh, it's not that easy. You need also to know how to test these talents to work in complex environments with time pressure, with uh, different personalities, uh, different leadership expectations. And that's something that uh, quite often you can see clearly during a hackathon event, how people perform under pressure, uh, sleepless, uh, and having very maybe conflicting ideas. 
So that's very fascinating uh, because it can go very up or very down. However, there's always a result, uh, always something coming up at the end of the day. And um, always people getting inspiration from these uh, workshops or hackathons. And that's something, again, that could be used by companies internally or externally uh, to motivate their own employees or to find new talents in their teams. Yeah, I love the idea of hackathon as a, as a shortcut that kind of accelerates the innovation and productivity because it takes in rapid prototyping and kind of that iteration of uh, getting things fast and shipping it uh, on the same day. Uh, but um, I think another aspect is how that hackathon team looks on the day two of the 24 hour, day three and day four. And that's one of the <clears throat> that's one of the uh, that's one of the other factors that can come in in there. Um, such as probably customer feedback loops, like talk to the customers in, in, during the day and then build products during the night. Uh, and that's how we can then maybe in a week or, or in two weeks uh, can come to a really good product that then you can sell to potential customers. Yeah, and I think uh, I've, I have experience with hackathons and have uh, internal and I've had a great, uh, great success with them. And I, I mean, it is interesting what the, the old statement that large companies have an issue innovating and seemingly most of the interesting innovation comes from startups. That still seems to be true today and probably will be for some time. Like, why does the companies with all the resources fail to innovate even with these tools that seemingly is out there? Uh, I, you know, it's hard. I think that many companies do innovate. Uh, but it's the same, as I said before, innovation, like the, it is trial and error. And most of it is error and failure. Like you, you just don't know when you're gonna, when you're gonna hit it. And I think that's something that many business leaders tends to learn over and over the hard way, whether you predict when a space rocket lands on the moon or auto driving in a self-driving vehicles so is going to be in, in on the road. It's hard. We don't know. That's why it's like true innovation, right? Like, and it, it's going to, at some point it's going to be ready so there needs to be you know a clear path of progress and people ready to invest and and keep on funding it without having that clear answer for okay this is the exact time that it's going to be be ready so uh you know other than that i think i felt you know personally in my life of working with innovation i've had to one of them is of course it's really hard to innovate when you're stuck with your your, your daily business things that just like is the opposite of innovation. So then you need to set time aside like hackathons and stuff. Like I think that that has worked. The other is of course, you know, pressure, which you also talked about Monica, is like this company needs to find a solution or we're out of business. If we don't find something, we need, you know, we need to think outside the box now and solve these things. That has worked for me too. I don't think that works for everyone and many people it works for, but I, many uh, pressure may you know not help the innovation i think monica said something important earlier that bigger companies often have all of those individuals that a small company can only dream about and yes these companies too struggle with innovation and uh, we're now discussing shortcuts on what can accelerate that innovation and i would like to view that in the context of the previous topic here on on what strategies are important for an innovative culture and hackathons are a good idea. I, I agree with that. To try and really tackle those problems you struggle with, 
and also find new solutions to them. But besides that, then, what are the low-hanging fruits within those strategies? And I mentioned people and giving people autonomy to make decisions. So, for instance, we've seen now in the post-pandemic period how it's still discussed what setup you have in your policy if people need to come into the office every day or if you allow, allow a, a hybrid setup or even fully remote. And I do realize that face-to-face -face collaboration is important to build teams and to foster creativity. But in this spirit of trusting your employees, your experts, I think we can also agree on that we should be able to trust these experts in if they will best deliver on their commitments from home or from the office. I think uh, one uh, one other point was also mentioned, uh, maybe not explicitly, but uh, it's very important with, about the urgency when it comes uh, to innovating out of urgency, out of necessity, and not because, oh, I just feel like it. Uh, because often that's when we identify most of the solutions to currently existing uh, challenges. And quite often people think that uh, we shouldn't look for a problem while we create a solution for something that doesn't exist. And that's a quite uh, important thing to keep in mind whenever doing innovation making, whenever investing and in deciding which project to invest in research and development field, for example. Uh, if we're trying to find the problem that doesn't exist or if we're actually solving an existing problem. And that's a huge difference, especially in today's investments um, aspects and priorities. It's very important to first identify the right problem. And that's something, for example, during a hackathon event or uh, during uh, sessions that can take weeks or half a year of development sessions, uh, you have to first of all identify the correct challenge, uh, the challenge that you actually can solve the, that you can solve and you have the capacity and competences or maybe you can find uh, competences in order to solve it. So it's very important to start off with uh, defining what is the actual problem. And that's usually when we spend a lot of time, pre-work time, before we actually produce, let's say, a hackathon event or any other development project uh, to know your challenge, so to say, and select the challenge that you can solve rather than trying to... Um, to invest all the resources in uh, in a challenge that maybe is not even in line with your corporate strategy. So that's another thing to think uh, when companies have goals and uh, everyone has to meet their uh, quarterly goals and uh, numbers. It's very essential to have these people in the room. I call them reality checks that actually brings people down to earth when it comes to amazing ideas, but actually what we can do with the existing resources. And... Um, and uh, that being said, also like uh, such short sprints that is also very commonly used in agile methodology saves a lot of time when testing uh, MVPs and also saves a lot of resources. If you think that uh, within a week you can try and develop an application or some kind of software that maybe you already combine existing parts from before uh, and try to use it in a new way uh, that can save you time since uh, months and even years sometimes instead of testing it and preparing it step by step and only assigning two people to work on it that maybe have very similar ideas and won't really manage to find different ways to do that because uh, they're being brought from the same background. So it's very important also to have diversity in those situations, that you have people thinking in different ways, uh, experts being in, uh, in different fields, uh, but also technologically people 
knowing different programming languages or being experts in different softwares. And not only those that specialize, but generalists are essential in order to make things happen. Because uh, if you have only specialists in the room, they might have a hard time communicating with each other and deciding how to move forward. You still need somebody that can connect the dots and help everyone to see the vision. Because if people don't see the vision, they cannot follow. They cannot follow the leader. They cannot follow the team. Uh, so it's very essential to clarify for the whole team what are we aiming for uh, so that everyone understands that. And um, also another thing that I... I thought is crucial is about unleashing the inner leader. So uh, we already mentioned several times during this conversation that people should take more initiative. Uh, we should trust people more to do their job uh, at what they're good at. But that's also something that uh, is very much connected with leadership skills. And that shouldn't be ignored, that to be a leader, everyone's supposed to practice and train how to be a leader and organizations and startups and partners should help each other uh, to develop these cap capabilities because uh, in one project maybe one person is leading in another one the other one needs to take charge and uh, also in your own work you have to be a leader as well because you probably need to communicate with all around you and make sure that everything runs smoothly so that shouldn't be forgotten uh, to unleashing the inner leader in order to provide more uh, people that are taking initiatives that are capable of actually deciding on the risks that they're taking. Because eventually, when we talk about being a leader, we're also talking about who's taking the responsibility, if this is going to work or not. So it's a lot about risk taking and measuring to what extent am I comfortable with doing this or that. And uh, to provide this uh, creativity, it's very important to provide flexible uh, flexibility in work environments to imagine the future work that would not constrain people, but instead it would drive creativity and help them to be more creative. For example, uh, allow people to move from office space to their home home space when they need that, allow this flexibility when it comes to time, work time, for example, even though some hours might be crucial for some businesses. However, you cannot ignore the bio uh, clocks that each person have when they have peak of their creativity and the downfall. So it's very important to take all this consider in, into consideration. And I think it's easier for global businesses because if you're based in all time zones, more or less, you can uh, provide more flexibility for people having that. It might be a little bit trickier if you're very constrained to particular hours in one geographical area. But that's another topic. I want to add on to, I totally agree with Monica on the fact that uh, you really make <clears throat> need to make sure that you address the right problem. And, and that that's uh, the, a phase that that maybe is overlooked uh, too many times. And uh, I think it falls into what Niklas also said, that when, when you uh, stand in front of a crisis, uh, that sort of triggers an in innovative um climate or how to say and I, I think that somehow goes down to that everyone agrees what the problem is uh, and everyone has this sort of common mission to uh, to uh, accomplish and i think we should really strive to to use that also in um everyday sort of working life uh, when uh, 
try to to really start to understand the problem and and maybe um one in the room understands the problem but but then don't satisfy with that make sure that everyone in the rooms uh, room really understands the same problem and perhaps write it down so that everyone really uh, see it black on white um because you you need uh, everyone to contribute to uh, different solutions in order to i think create the momentum around uh, innovation and uh, sometimes you have stakeholders clearly defined stakeholders that you are creating a solution for sometimes not but uh, either way it's it's not always that the stakeholders really know what they need and so also try to put some time i think is is valuable to into formulating use cases or scenarios now if we would uh, deliver this solution how would it be used and that can also spark some creativity among sort of intended stakeholders on requirements or problems that they might overlook the first time and to create an even better solution that that fits uh, all needs so last but not least Nicholas, uh, your question was, what AI tools have you seen being used in product development? And how do you see product teams change in the future due to better use of AI tools? Tell me your thoughts behind this question. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think as of late, I've seen, I mean, I, to me, that mostly developers, I mean, they've been using Copilot and ChatGPT, and uh, I think it was clear that both seeing the progress and talking to them that you know they're they're just faster and better developers uh, with with assistance uh, designers and artists have had you know also great generative AI tools so uh, there's been a lot of uh, you know a, a lot of help uh, help in the teams so the question is really have you seen anything else maybe if from other than designers and developers any tools that are that are new that are interesting and uh, also from from you know what you have seen if you've seen that the uh, the team setup is going to change over time on how we compose product teams i think um the generative ai definitely in the um, uh, overall ai tools definitely help the to to to, to have a better uh, product development uh input um and uh uh the last we saw was to to get the customer feedback and to to get it summarized and clustered and, and get the sentiment analysis on that feedback and and from different channels that we have um so working working with that feedback and, and uh, deriving some problem statements that we can work with and build solutions on top it, it was a great help and time saver um imagine going through 6000 reviews of your of your app uh, and uh, yeah that that couldn't be accomplished even half a year ago um now it's all good um at the same time i think um w when we when we talk about ai tools and we talk about generally right now about um summarization and like generative ai and all that we we shouldn't forget uh about the traditional machine learning uh models that could be used for predictions uh, for personalization and uh, different processing uh, activities. Uh, and that's where I think uh, most companies underutilize their powers um, and uh, should actually invest more in that. Uh, I would mention also academia 
and uh, how this uh, created a lot of turbulence at the very beginning uh, when it came to chat GPT, etc. Uh, because uh, universities had to rethink, many professors had to rethink philosophically what does it mean of uh, giving higher education? What kind of education are we giving to our uh, citizens? And um, Coming from academic background, uh, also having done many different disciplines, I also noticed that uh, it's very fascinating. It's very philosophical subject to discuss how, to what extent the research is being impacted by, for example, ChatGPT. Uh, because we did some tests and we figured that sometimes ChatGPT can be used uh, to some extent as a thesis supervisor for some students in order to help guide them in their first steps of uh, selecting a topic, uh, getting enough of background, what what exists in, on the World Wide Web, so to say, uh, because it is a tool that you can use a lot uh, to save your own time as a researcher, but also to save a lot of time and, and resources of everybody else if you use it in correct ways. Uh, now, of course, there are other ways that we're not discussing. Uh, everyone knows about plagiarism and such. That was the main issue from the very beginning. Uh, however, uh, further on, everybody understood the essence of actually being capable of writing your own ideas in your own words and not sounding like a robot. Uh, and um, another thing is programming. Of course, uh, in many hackathons, uh, AI tools were used for quite some time now uh, before ChatGPT was introduced and machine learning and AI was mentioned on every second startup that would present anything uh, on the stage. So it's been there for a while. However, to what extent these are taken and being implemented, that's another question because machine learning usually would take ages to just create the model and to, to, to train the model on the basis that would work correctly. And that's already thinking about time consumption. Uh, and also having people in place that would understand what you're doing with these programs. So it goes both ways. But I think it was also important to, to mention that at the end of the day, business wouldn't exist without research. And research often comes from academia that takes time to think about how world could be instead of acting on data here and now. Yeah, really interesting question. And no doubt that what's been said here before that it's I also believe it's true the the applications can get a lot of lot smarter thanks to AI and uh, we can also get shorter delivery cycles since we allow these tools to solve uh, most of our problems and but that also sparked an idea in me and then started to thinking we've said here before how it's um, about human innovation capability and so on and, and what happens then to that um, capability in humans if we start asking these tools to solve all of our problems and so um, that that I found it interesting and it sparked an idea in me so uh, bear with me here for a second so for instance we've changed over the course of a couple of generations we changed how we exercise I for instance I I don't do many steps during a regular working day and i think that goes for most of us and so outside of working hours we hit the gym or we go out for a run and uh, if that's not enough so companies also offer wellness allowance uh, in order for us to to sort of encourage their employees to do exercise and on some companies employees are really lucky that when the employer 
allows people to exercise on working hours. So TSS is one of those companies where we can, for instance, go out for a run twice a week uh, or do a yoga pause. But and research shows that this has a positive effect on the brain uh, when it comes to creativity, for instance. But then, how is then, or or how would these uh, the use of these AI tools potentially uh, affect the innovation capability in humans? Well, we know that the we know about the Flynn effect that shows that a lot long sustained gain in IQ levels affected by two factors, or how to say, genetic factors, and then also from the environment that you are in, that you. So if you are uh, in a cognitively stimulating environment, then that has a positive effect on your IQ. And but that effect, if if you're if you're outside of that environment, if you're outside of that uh, cognitively stimulating environment, then that that part of the that that effect decays over time unless you stimulate it. So that got me thinking here that what if if we start giving these problems to um, to these tools, how do we still make sure that human beings are in these cognitively stimulating environments and so that we sort of continue to have uh, uh, innovation capability in human beings? Well, maybe we are potentially seeing a, a new leadership challenge here, same as we we saw the with the, with the pandemics seeing how do you should should you force all your employees to come back to the office or should you try to find an efficient way of working through hybrid or, or and or um, fully remote setup and what happens to human beings when they don't exercise well then you have this wellness allowance and you really encourage people to do exercise because you know that that has a positively stimulating effect on the brain potentially these hobby project hours or or even hackathons potentially those will be the importance of those will really increase with the increase of these uh, ai tools uh yes your remarks thomas reminds me of the discussions that we had some years ago and um, one of my master degrees in international and comparative education classes uh, at Stockholm University, a very international cohort. I, I would be the only uh, advocate for technology to be used to some extent, but of course you need to think how to be used because all teachers said, no, we shouldn't have any technology when it comes to digital technology in the classroom because we see the results of children. But I always say you have to know how to use the technology. You have to be smarter to understand which tasks you can outsource for technology but which one you should leave for for the sake of uh, humans thinking deeper and using their emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence, in fact, became the main topic being discussed uh, since IQ was discussed for ages. But emotional intelligence is something that came up quite recently. If you look uh, at research, if you look at work environment, and uh, together with OpenHack, we also do art series, uh, Art Hack. It's um, usually people have no idea what that is, but basically our, our idea is to bring mental awareness uh, to office spaces, especially to tech companies, uh, places where technology are being used on a daily basis uh, to very large 
extent. However, the human contact is often forgotten. So with ArtHack, we usually bring art and artists to the spaces where usually people are very fit in into their boxes and thinking and help them to connect better with their inner self, uh, with their teammates, to learn something about each other. And um, another aspect you mentioned that's also proven uh, in Swedish statistics, that uh, the level of literacy uh, in the current generations are decreasing year by year. And therefore, there's more initiatives to bring books to people, uh, to be to have easier access to literature and such. However, it's very hard to compete with uh, the way that social media is being designed. Uh, which is very many uh, psychological tricks being used in the way uh, people cannot stop scrolling and uh, current generations are being raised without realizing what they're missing out. To start off from uh, the lack of focus when it comes to focusing on finishing a task, which usually comes from using too much of a phone, having too many notifications, checking the phone all the time, which can be quickly fixed if people would have this discipline which usually they don't, unless they are athletes. But that's another topic. But I really enjoyed listening to, to what you were saying, because something that also we found through that research thesis uh, about using hackathons for creation of learning cities was that, in fact, during hackathon event, the main skill that was mentioned by all stakeholders, which was practice, was collaboration. So it wasn't, at the end of the day, about technology itself. It was about people and how well they can communicate, collaborate, and create something bigger. Perfect. Um, hopefully, obviously, that gives you some idea of um, the kind of benefits, the pros and cons, shall we say, of, of using AI especially. Um, so really great discussion. Um, really appreciate you obviously all taking the time um, to to share your thoughts with that. Um, before we end the podcast, um, I'd like to say thank you to you all. Um, so you've all been um, great. We've had Nicholas Lumbach, who's the uh, chief um, contract chief product officer. Um, we've got Thomas Linden, who's the CTO um, at TSS. Alibi Makatov, who's product manager at Lendo AB. And we have Monica Leonate, who's the CEO and founder at OpenHack 2020 Australia. If you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, Feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution, or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I'm Georgia Benton, and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at georgia.benton at evolution-nordics.com or even visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK forward slash Nordics. Thank you so much again to all of our guests, and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.